and welcome to episode 61 of the Reconomy podcast, where we discuss economic issues that impact real estate, housing, and affordability. I am Odetta Kushi, Deputy Chief Economist at First American, and here with me is Mark Fleming, Chief Economist at First American. Hey, Mark, a lot happened in the month of March, don't you think? Hi, Odetta. Indeed, I would say so. Bank failures, rate hikes, Fed projections. Oh, my. Oh, my, indeed. Today's episode will recap all of those things and then discuss if, how, and why it all matters to housing. Odetta, you do realize this is a 10 to 15 minute podcast episode, right? I'm up for the challenge, and we're going to stick to the high level points rather than the nitty gritty details. First, since we plan to cover what went down with the bank bust, the Fed, and mortgage rates in March, I think we start at the very beginning. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell gave his semi-annual monetary policy report to Congress on March 7th, and in those remarks to lawmakers, he indicated that the latest economic data have come in stronger than expected, which, quote, suggests that the ultimate level of interest rates is likely to be higher than previously anticipated, end quote. Hmm, that, that seems to have possibly left an opening for a 50 basis point hike in March. That's right. And Powell was reacting to the strong inflation and labor market reports that were indicating that inflation remains stubbornly high and the labor market continues to show strength. If you're confused by why a strong labor market would upset the Fed chair, welcome to the topsy-turvy economic world we live in these days. Yes, lower unemployment and wage growth are a bad thing for the inflation fight. That's right. A 50 basis point hike would have set the Fed funds target rate to a range of between five and five and a quarter percent. Keep in mind that in December, most Fed officials thought they would raise the rate this year to somewhere between five and five and a half and hold it there into next year. Right. The median terminal rate among FOMC participants was 5.1 percent. Hmm, odd again, because it stayed at 5.1% at the latest March meeting. And didn't Chairman Powell suggest in these remarks that you were just referencing to Congress that inflation seemed, shall we say, persistently non-transitory? That's a bit of a spoiler alert, and we'll get to that in a minute. But how did the Fed go from hinting at a potential 50 basis point hike in early March to conversations of potentially pausing rate hikes altogether to announcing a 25 basis point hike at their FOMC March meeting. Ah, that's easy. Nothing like a good old-fashioned bank run. George Bailey's building and loan. Anyone? Anyone? I do know that reference. There you this go. This is a wonderful life <laughs> exactly. reference. Of course, it's a classic. So the failures of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank spooked markets and FOMC members alike. Uh, spooked me too. Uh, memories of 2008 for those of us who've been around long enough. Well, yeah, this was a pretty big deal. Now, there's more than enough information out there that explains what happened, but I think it would be helpful to just get a quick overview. So, Mark, if you would do the honors. An overview of a bank run. Okay, here we go. A bank at its simplest level takes in deposits from customers and re in return for interest payments, so how much you get paid on that checking or savings account or other services. The bank then invests those deposits. This is an important part, right? The money doesn't stay in the bank. The bank invests them in loans and securities that pay a higher rate than what they're paying you, and that's how they make money. So you mean banks invest in treasuries, mortgage-backed securities, commercial mortgage-backed securities, etc. Exactly. The banks keep a certain amount of cash available, that's called their reserves or their capital, just to be, to be safe, and invest the rest in all those sorts of things. 
Right, because banks have invested most of the customer's deposits in loans and securities. They only have a small percentage of actual cash available. Yes, Bailey's building and loan. The money isn't in the bank. It's in your neighbor's house, in your neighbor's house, that sort of a thing. Yep. Exactly. Um, and that's okay because most of the time, the customers don't all want their deposits back at the same time. All right, well, that all sounds fine and good. So what happened with the SVB bank run? Ah, well, because SVB had so much of their investments in treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities, both of which lose value when interest rates go up. Newsflash, interest rates have gone up. They had what are called unrealized losses. They're less valuable than what they bought them for, meaning that if they had to sell them to get the money back for, say, paying their depositors back, they would not get back all the money they invested. But pretty much every bank in the world has unrealized losses. Again, rising interest rates have cut the value of U.S. Treasuries and mortgage-backed securities that make up a large portion of many banks' assets. Yes, in fact, hundreds of billions of dollars of unrealized losses in Treasuries and mortgage-backed securities right now. But in the case of SVB, the customers started to lose confidence that their deposits were safe and withdraw them at a higher than expected rate. And so they're running out of that capital. SVB was then forced to sell more investments, to provide liquidity, to cover those withdrawals, all due to higher interest rates. They took a loss on those sale of those securities. Here we go. And more loss of confidence follows suit. Yep. More withdrawals of deposits, more fear of missing out and being the last one to the bank. And voila, a bank run. Regulators took over the bank when they became concerned that SVP lacked the liquidity to meet customer withdrawal demands. Thanks for that bank run overview, Mark. Now, we promised we would touch on mortgage rates and housing. Recall that the 30-year fixed mortgage rate is loosely benchmarked to the 10-year treasury, and the irony of the SVB bank collapse is that there was a bank bust benefit, if you will, to the housing market. Heightened market uncertainty pushed investors to buy more treasury bonds, resulting in declining yields on the 10-year treasury and a decrease in mortgage rates. And there were analysts saying that the stress on the banking system may prompt the Federal Reserve to take its foot off the pedal, at least temporarily. A pause would have allowed the Fed time to assess the risks posed to the banking system. After all, it's the Fed's fast pace of rate increases that has placed stress on the bank's investment assets. Yes, but it could also signal to markets that the Fed remains concerned about the stability of the financial sector. Indeed, a rock and a hard place situation. Yeah. I do not envy the fact that they had to make this decision. It was a really tough choice going into that March FOMC meeting. Continue to fight inflation, raise rates, or pause and see if the banking system responds favorably or depositors lose confidence. No spoiler alerts here because the decision has already been made and I think we've mentioned it once or twice already on this podcast, but what did they end up going with? I guess no drum roll is needed here. No. A, 20, a 25 basis point hike and a pretty steady projection. In those projections, the median GDP came down a little bit from December, probably recognizing the, the damage that could be caused to the economy by the financial uncertainty. The unemployment rate expectations modestly declined. Inflation expectations increased a bit, sort of recognizing the challenges that we are having in getting inflation down. And that ever important terminal rate stayed the same at 5.1%. The FOMC statement did change a little bit with mention that the U.S. banking system is sound and resilient, but that recent developments are likely to result in tighter credit conditions for households and businesses. This is like a little inflation assist. 
That's right. Powell mentioned that the tightening credit conditions work in principle in the same way as a rate hike. So that justifies why they went with 25 basis points and not 50. It also helps to explain why that median terminal rate expectation stayed the same. We started off the episode discussing how hotter than expected inflation and labor market data was likely to sway the Fed towards a higher terminal rate. But now the Fed is saying that they may need to take their foot off the pedal a little bit given banking uncertainty. So what does all of this mean for the housing market? Well, first, there's the obvious credit tightening point. With banks tightening credit, it may be more difficult for borrowers to get a mortgage. Lenders might require higher credit scores, bigger down payments, or more cash reserves. Let the tighter credit conditions do a little bit of work for the Fed. But zooming out a little bit, and if we use the FOMC projections as our guide... And that's not always the most accurate guide. We talk more about how Fed projections don't have a great record in episode 23 of the Reconomy podcast. Yeah, forecasting the economy, it's easy. But what better way to understand the Fed than use their own projections? The terminal rate projection of 5.1% can be achieved with one more quarter point hike. One more and done. So it's possible we'll get that second 25 basis point hike at their next meeting in May, but then what? Well, Chairman Powell explicitly said, and the March FOMC projections imply, that rate cuts are not in the FOMC's baseline expectation for the year. So one and done doesn't then mean cut. Despite what markets may think. (laughs) That's right. There seems to be a little bit of a disconnect there. According to the Fed, once we've hit that terminal rate, we will stay at that level at least into next year. The implication for mortgage rates is that there might be ongoing upward pressure on rates until the summer, but is steadying in the second half of the year as the Fed takes its foot off the pedal. Yes, though ongoing banking uncertainty complicates the picture a bit. While the 30-year fixed rate mortgage typically does follow the 10-year treasury rate, the spread between the two widens during times of financial and geopolitical uncertainty. That means that the interest rate on home mortgages is running much higher than usual relative to the interest rate on the long-term treasury bonds right now. That's a good point. This pattern can be observed during the great financial crisis early 2020 and following the Fed's most recent aggressive rate hikes. Since 1972, the 30-year fixed rate mortgage has on average remained 1.7 percentage points higher than the 10-year treasury bond. In March, that spread was 2.9 percentage points. That's as of March 23rd. So like a whole extra percent. If financial uncertainty following bank failures persists, the spread may even widen further, and it means we're likely to see more mortgage rate volatility. On the other hand, once the end of monetary tightening is in sight and financial conditions stabilize, that spread is likely to narrow as uncertainty eases. So basically, all factors point to continued mortgage rate volatility in the coming months, but the second half of the year should bring some stability. Uh, should being the operative word here. Yes, I did not have bank run on my 2023 bingo card, so we (laughs) should definitely say should. Neither did I. Let's hope for minimal surprises for the rest of the year. All right, well, that's all we've got for today. Told you we would keep it short. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Reconomy podcast. If you have an economics-related question you'd like us to feature in the future, you can email us at economics at firstam.com. We love to hear from our listeners. And as always, if you can't wait for the next episode, you can follow us on Twitter. It's at Odetokushi for me and at mflemingecon for Mark. Until next time.
Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Reconomy Podcast from First American. We're pleased to offer you even more economic content at firstam.com slash economics. This episode is copyright 2023 by First American Financial Corporation. All rights reserved.